Alright guys, welcome to the 12th episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Burke, and on this episode I interviewed Dr. Jack Cruz. Dr. Jack Cruz is a neurosurgeon from Tennessee in um, the United States. He is also the CAO of Optimize Life, a health and wellness company to help people avoid common healthcare burdens that come with age. Me and Jack discussed many things in this podcast, including his leptin reset, and discussed how to prevent and reverse all chronic degenerative diseases and reach optimum health. As with all the podcasts, it was jam-packed with information and a great interview, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Okay, um, Dr. Jack Cruz, as with all my guests, it is an absolute honor to have you on my podcast. Just for the listeners who aren't familiar with who you are, just fill us in on your background. Uh, my name's Jack Cruz. Uh, I'm a neurosurgeon, uh, originally from New York City. I practice in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and I specialize in doing complex spine surgery and reconstructions. And uh, I also have a wellness company where I actually try to re-engineer people back to health when they're completely trashed by modern life. Well. In in your opinion, how does modern life trash 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 our body? Well, I mean that's a pretty complex topic, but it's kind of funny we're talking about this today because I just posted on my Facebook wall. You know, I, I, for seven years I've been talking about how mismatches in circadian biology basically ruin the human species. In fact, I was on uh, another guy's show who you've actually already interviewed, Sean Croxton. And he asked me a question on his show, and I told him that I thought that the, the homo species was a species in decline, a species of mediocrity. Mm-hmm. And you could see when I said it to him, it almost shocked him. And um, when I explained to him that the single number one cause of that mediocrity was the facts uh, of artificial light and also the standard Western diet that we've allowed to permeate our biology... And we're completely unaware of exactly how it destroys us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people in the you know the paleo community, you know, and people in some other communities have a pretty good idea, I guess, how the diet does it. But when people interview me and talk to me, they're kind of shocked when I tell them that actually, in my opinion, the biggest effect on our biology is from actually artificial light. Mm-hmm. That, that seems, I read a book one time, and you, I think you read it too, Lights Out by T.S. Wiley, and a lot of what you espouse is definitely something that she, she was trying to convey in her book as well. Have you read that book? Actually, believe it or not, I haven't read the book. Several people have told me about it, uh, and the only reason I shied away from it is because when I did a little research on the author online, I didn't like what I found. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I will tell you, there's so much information now on circadian biology in hardcore science journals there's there's really no reason to go for theories anymore i mean the things that that i'm talking about really aren't theories they're they're actually proof and what i was getting to earlier today the american medical association just came out with a post uh that basically said that doctors at least in the united states have been completely blind to the effect of artificial light and how it, it affects humans. And they specifically talked about the links between breast cancer and artificial light. And it just made me smile because I've been talking about these issues, I mean, for seven years, Robbie. This, this is not 
you know, my first rodeo. I've talked to patients, thousands of patients a year about this issue in my clinic. And when I explain to people how the diet and light cycles are tied to our circadian biology and, and how it's tied to aging and Neolithic disease generation, people, I guess, just don't believe that those things are tied together, but they are tied together by evolutionary biology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, in order to understand how to treat someone, you have to understand how we were created and where we come from and how our biology works. And until we do that, until until medicine gets an, epi- uh, an epistemologic foundation for what should guide us, like what our North Star should be, you know, physics has it in quantum mechanics, chemistry has it, you know, in the theories of the atom, um, but we don't have it in medicine yet. And and I'm telling you right now that circadian biology is is that and, and that foundation is found in evolutionary, you know, biology. Okay, well let's let's get into nutrition and so so just for the listeners, circadian biology is definitely a huge component of optimal health. So be, being in sync with the day and night cycles, from a nutritional standpoint, just tell us what you expose. Well, the nutritional standpoint is pretty simple. I mean, uh, let's 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 do a little thought experiment here over the internet. Before we got on the call, you told me how cold it was where you are in Ireland. I told you how warm it was here in Tennessee today. Um, let's think about what it's like on the equator today, moving up through Tennessee, then moving up to Dublin Island, and then let's think about what it's like at the at the poles. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're everybody on this planet today. You know, it's June 22nd, so everybody's here at the same time, but we all radically face different environments. So do you think the same food sources would be present in Dublin, Ireland, that would be put, that would be found, say, at the poles or at the equator on the same day? Absolutely The answer is no. Yeah. So the key question is then, why do modern humans think it's perfectly fine to eat things that they don't find at their longitude and latitude at different times of the season? And my whole point is, our biology is built to eat where we're best adapted to. Now, where we're best adapted to these days has probably changed. And I don't know, a guy like you, uh, you may be born and bred, you know, a true Irishman. Uh, I told you before this call that I I actually have uh, ancestral ties to Ireland, but I certainly don't live in Ireland anymore. Mm -hmm. I can tell you the weather right here right now is definitely not Irish, Mm -hmm. you know, but... We need to start to realize, if you're from a northern European ancestry, maybe the way you need to construct your nutritional plan going forward should be to match your genome uh, best. So that way you can avoid inflammation, and then when you avoid inflammation, you can avoid you know hormonal disruption, and you can eventually avoid disease, because in my belief, every disease that you believe in your little head and your, and your listeners believe all stems from inflammation generation from environmental mismatches. Mm-hmm. Every, everything you say makes perfect sense, but a question I've actually wanted to ask is the work of Bruce Lipton, and he talks about you know our ability to adapt to our environment. Do you think humans can actually adapt to the way their environments are now, or do you think that if we keep going down this line, that eventually? Like I don't want to say the word extinct, but do you think that we're just going to go into even more mediocrity, as you say? Well, I'll be honest with you. I think we are headed towards extinction. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. I just wrote 
I just wrote a blog post today that's probably my second most important blog post that I've ever written in my life. And it basically brings the point home. You need to understand what we're doing. We, we are de-evolving. We've been de-evolving, in my view, for the last 13,000 years. And, and the problem becomes we just, we have the ability, your original question, we have the ability to adapt to any environment on this planet, Robbie. Mm-hmm. But the key thing, the key question that we have to ha- ask ourselves, adaptation also has another variable that you didn't ask about, and that's time. Mm-hmm. The adaptation that's built into us by evolution is seasonal adaptation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you exceed seasonal adaptation, you start to enter environmental mismatches. And let me give you a perfect example that you'll get. Because yeah. you're, you're in Dublin now, so I want to use you as a good role. Um, tell me, tell me uh, why is it on December 31st, Robbie can eat a banana you know, in Dublin, Ireland, when not one grows there? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 use, I use this when I'm trying to explain your, your, your top roast to people too. Like, you know, the bananas just don't grow in Ireland. Right, and, and the thing is, it's, I'm not trying to tell you that you can't eat it. Obviously, we all know you can eat it. But the question you need to be asking is, should I be eating it? Yeah. And that's the, the big issue. Now, say if you're African descent and you're living in Ireland, well, maybe the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. But if you're Irish from County Cork, the answer is probably no. And if you keep doing it long enough, you're going to wind up with inflammation at a cellular level, and that inflammation is going to be transmuted to your hormones, and your hormones are going to become disrupted, and eventually what's going to happen is you're going to face some kind of disease over time. The most common disease you know, that humans will face from eating carbs out of uh, the, the right season is, is diabetes. Yeah. You know, and we all know that. The, the crazy thing about it is, uh, you know, the other one I like to use, especially with a guy who's, who's, you know, lives where you live, is just think about the cold. I mean, modern humans, when's the last time anybody or everybody in Ireland walked around naked in the, in the wintertime with no heated seats in their car, no heated houses, and no fires? Well, I, I can tell you when that happens, we're usually fairly drunk, Jack. <laughs> I can understand that, <laughs> but, but you also have to realize the animals that live with you do actually have to live yes, that way. Yes, yes, yeah. And guess what? Humans think they're you know immune to being animals. So I got some bad news here. We are eutherian mammals, just like they are. The problem is we don't think of ourselves that way, and the reason we don't is because we have this amazing thing in our head called the human brain. But we still need to realize we play by the same rules of evolution that those animals do. Mm-hmm. So all you have to do is look out your window now and take a look at the animals out there and say, really, what, what makes us different from them? And, and you start to realize it's the fact that we have a brain. And that brain is what creates most of the mismatches that our species faces. Mm-hmm. So the more of these mismatches you face over a period of your life, the more of the times that you adapt out of your seasonal variation, the closer you get to your demise. And that's how you get to mediocre. And in my opinion, if we keep going the way we're going, we will extinguish ourselves. 
it's, it's funny you mention animals because there there is a uh, Dr. McCola has this this other kind of partner. He has Dr. Becker. She's kind of like a vet version of Dr. McCola, and she actually talks about how like dogs, like the rate of their disease is going up too because of because of the way they live their lives. You know, they're they're living with humans, so they're getting just as sick as humans now because you know they're 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 kind of in our kind of cycle of life, poor nutrition and the day and night cycles. There's no question about it, but I mean that should be a wake up call to the humans exactly. who are their masters. But yeah. you know, the crazy thing is, just like you said before, we think it's perfectly fine, you know, to get on the computer at night and have all this artificial light blaring in our face. Mm-hmm. We just think it's completely normal because you know what? Steve Jobs figured out how to you know, and, and Bill Gates figured out how to have computers all over the world. So we think that's perfectly cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I got some bad news for you. That's not. And, and, you know, that's a hard pill for modern humans to swallow. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the stuff that I, that I believe is a hard pill for a lot of people in this paleo community to swallow. And I find it very ironic that these people are, you know, founded in evolutionary principles, but the one thing that they have the biggest mismatch with is technology. Mm-hmm. And they refuse to see it. You know, and the thing is, we need to be aware of everything we're just not aware of. That's why I tell everybody, you know, on my own website and my form, we need to question everything about what we believe because when we start to do that, that's how we become aware of what we don't know. You know, and that's the cool thing about it. I personally think when you mentioned about Bruce Lipton before, I think when you start to think along the lines where I'm going, you start to realize that we can readapt back into how we should be living, and actually, my belief is we can actually exceed our expectations. And the reason I believe that is because our brain allows us to create alternative realities. Mm -hmm. For example, while we're sitting here talking, you know, uh, you told me what it would be like to have 10 degrees Celsius in Dublin, and I told you what it would be like to to be sitting in 97 degrees Fahrenheit. And when I said it to you, I know that you thought about it, and I thought about your reality. Well, that's that's an ability that our brain gives us. That's mm-hmm. an ability that you know a, a bear or a polar bear can't even comprehend. Mm-hmm. So that built-in ability tells us that we can change anything about our environment. In other words, we can create an environment we where we are subjugated to the normal circadian biology, and if we do that, we can we can do well. Jack, just I, I just want to, to 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 kind of summarize something here, and you can just fill in any blanks that I leave out. Everything to me in the universe that, that just from what I've studied seems to be this yin yang sort of relationship. So in the summer, the, the 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 light is longer, and carbohydrates seems to be in a slightly more abundance. So something that was in that lights out book that I mentioned was T. S. Wiley kind of said things like. Uh, Insulin resistance, um, like elevated cholesterol, um, and a slight bit of weight gain were these kind of normal adaptations that reversed themselves once we went into the long nights, slept more, and started to become um, started to run our bodies on ketones. So it it seems what T. S. Wiley's thing is that we don't have a winter anymore because the lights, of course, never go out and carbohydrates are abundant twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five days a year. So. Are you along this philosophy too, this yin-yang relationship? Because I think I believe, I read somewhere too, you were saying that omega-6 is actually not a bad thing. It's kind of an adaptation for an antifreeze effect into the winter. And that was also in T.S. Wiley's book. So can you just fill, maybe fill me in there on some more information? 
Well, you mixed a couple of things up there. Okay. Actually, believe it or not, uh, I do agree that carbohydrates should parallel the light levels, but they also uh, need to parallel kind of where you are in a latitude, longitude okay. situation on the planet. For example, people on the equator are going to have the innate ability to actually eat more carbohydrates throughout the year, even in long light, in, in low light cycles at the equator. Okay then you will because you're further away, but you also have to realize even at the equator there are seasons. You know, there are wet and dry seasons when carbs are freely available and when they're not. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing is there's also two other things at the equator that are available to them when those uh, carbohydrates aren't available, and those are called coconuts and palm. Mm -hmm. And what are they loaded with? They're loaded with fats that drive ketosis. And see, evolution has the answer there. That's the that's the adaptation for life at the equator. Um, the other the other big thing I would say, and and this one we're gonna get we're gonna talk a little bit about alcohol because I know you're from Ireland and so <laughs> much we know a little bit about this. But let me explain something to you that I just explained in my recent blog series that kind of blew people's minds because I don't think they thought about it. But you're familiar with when you take alcohol and you try to freeze it in the freezer, it doesn't freeze, correct? Yeah. That's because the alcohol is in solution. And you know that there's a famous French wine, you know, over in France called uh, Chateau de Chem, which is so turns, a very sweet wine. It's got a lot of glucose in it. And when you try to freeze it, it doesn't freeze either. The point is, is when glucose is in solution, it acts as antifreeze in the blood. Well, guess what that means for a guy like Robbie Bork, who's living over in Dublin? That's an evolutionary adaptation that's a built-in antifreeze for people that live in northern latitudes. So that's the reason why the two countries on the planet that have the highest amounts of type 1 and type 2 diabetes are Finland and Sweden. Where are they both located, Robbie? They're up by you. Up the north. They're, even, they're, they're even further north than you, but <laughs> yeah. you understand the relationship. So it is in these countries that live furthest from the equator where Northern Europeans have an evolutionary advantage to easily become type 1 and type 2 diabetic to protect themselves initially from the brutal cold of the fall and the winter. Here's mm -hmm. the interesting part. When carbohydrates are, uh, you know, when the seasons change, that ability tends to slowly go away over a period of time until the cycle restarts again. So I would tell you what we look at as diseases today Back, you know, maybe a thousand or two thousand years ago, where evolutionary adaptations that allowed humans to migrate out of Africa and live in northern climates to subsist. Uh, omega sixes are a totally different ballgame. Uh, omega sixes don't have a lot to do, I think, with uh, temperature changes, but they have a tremendous amount to do with how the body uh, has constructed tissues, especially things like the brain. You know, people in the paleo community pound omega-6s to the ground, but what people don't realize, to have the appropriate essential fatty acid ratio for humans requires a four-to-one ratio, and that's omega-6 to omega-3. Mm -hmm. So we actually need four times as many sixes to threes to be optimal. Where we get in trouble as a modern society or a modern species is that the Western diet, which has been imported even to Europe and everywhere across the world, even to China now, is that most people have ratios that are above 10 to 1. And see, that's where omega-6s get us into trouble, because once we go over a 4 to 1 ratio for our species, those excess omega-6s turn 
into the inflammatory pathways that make nasty things like PGE2 and leukotriene B4. You know, and those are the things that cause that inflammation that we talked about earlier mm -hmm. that lead to the hormonal disruption that cause the leptin resistance and eventually wind up in cancer, you know, cirrhosis, Alzheimer's disease. You know, you name the disease, that's where it starts. Jack, can you speak about leptin? Because this seems to be your your main thing, like the leptin, once this thing goes haywire, the whole system goes haywire. Well, that's true, because uh, the best way I can describe leptin to you is it's the master hormone of the body, and anytime you introduce inflammation into the system, you're basically throwing leptin off the top of the mountain. The way I like to think about leptin is when everything's perfect, it's uh, running the whole show. In other words, it's like, uh, I can't use this analogy with you guys because probably most of your listeners are in, uh, in Europe, but we have a really busy road in New York City because that's where I'm from. It's called the Long Island Expressway, and I tell people when you're leptin resistant, it's like driving on the LIE at, uh, at, uh, at rush hour. At, at rush hour with mud on your window and no windshield wiper fluid. Yeah, yeah. That's really what it's like, and you have no idea. And, and not only that, your gas uh, uh, fuel gauge is also broken. You have no idea how much gas is in the tank or not. And that's what being leptin resistant is like. But the key thing for, fat, uh, I should say, disease generation, when you have enough dysregulation in the leptin system, it's usually due to huge amounts of inflammation in the system. And as we said before, the inflammation comes from these mismatches. So the more inflamed you are, the more leptin resistant you are, and that means that your brain cannot adequately assess, you know, the energy status in your body. You know, most people, most people think, uh, you know, the brain uh, controls everything with nerves, but actually that's not the case. The brain does not send a nerve to every single cell in our body. And we've got a lot of nerves in our body, but we can't cover the, you know, the ten, tr the ten uh, billion cells that we have in our body. So instead, how the brain monitors all that metabolism is via the hormones. It samples it through the blood. So when the hormones come back and shows dysregulation, the brain makes corrections to our metabolism to offset that. When you're leptin resistant, you lose the ability to make those corrections. And when those corrections are not made over a period of time, they lead to disease generation. Mm-hmm. Jack, just with the inflammation that you also speak about, with regards to, I, I, I'm a physical therapist too, and when, when an athlete comes to me with an injury, do you believe that your cold thermogenesis has a big role to play in bringing back an athlete from injury because of the inflammation that they have in their system that could have led to their injury? Yeah, absolutely, because when someone becomes leptin sensitive, or let, let's make it even simpler, cold and the whole uh, idea behind cold thermogenesis it's the single best way that leptin is reduced in the human body. And in fact, it's in, and that's true in every eutherian mammal on this planet. Mm -hmm. um, you need to understand when we're in the cold. You know, most physical therapists and most patients know this. When you sprain your ankle, you put ice on it, it gets better, the swelling comes down. But, you know, many people out there in, in the blockosphere have been talking about cold being just a hormetic factor, meaning a stressor. I don't believe that because I'm, I'm getting ready to show in my current series that humans evolved from the East African Rift in Africa with two main epigenetic signals that happened to transitional apes. Those two main signals were cold 
and a dietary change to a more ocean environment. And those two factors basically determine how leptin would work in our species. And what I'm telling people is that cold is our primordial condition. In fact, I even take it back further. I believe cold is the primordial condition for all life on this planet. Um, I think it's pretty well established that life started on this planet in the oceans. And if you know anything about the oceans, they're cold. No matter where you go, even at the equator, if you go down far enough, it's freezing cold. Um, we know that uh, the oceans spawned most life and then life on land came from them so when you start to understand that you think about how epigenetics works and you know what you mentioned before about bruce lipton yes life can adapt to warm but i believe the adaptation to warm is the true hormetic effect not to cold and that's where people have it completely backwards mm -hmm. so to answer your question absolutely athletes not only do athletes get better from injury robbery their performance improves dramatically in cold can you just speak about just for maybe some of the listeners that they don't know what cold thermogenesis is can you just speak maybe uh, give us something about your leptin reset and just alter your progression for cold thermogenesis you like the face dunking and then then the full body submersion yeah, I, I mean, I can definitely do that. I would tell people it's probably easier for you to just go and read mm -hmm. the stuff on my Easy Start program. Uh, I've got everything written out there, but it, it's all based on evolutionary biology, and I can go through some of it. Like, we can go through maybe, say, like the uh, leptin reset. Yeah. And then maybe uh, some of the stuff on the cold thermogenesis will make it simple. Basically, basically the leptin uh, reset prescription is pretty simple. Uh, it's you follow a paleolithic diet. I really don't care which one you follow, but you probably should tailor it based on, say, your disease state. Like if you're an obese guy, you probably should consider using a more ketogenic platform than you know a standard one. But if say you're a, a fit guy and you're just starting CrossFit or you're starting a new training program, I'd say a standard you know template that's laid out either in in Wolf's book or Sisson's book or Art Devaney's book. Are perfectly fine. Um, the key thing with uh, my prescription is you make sure that you eat breakfast within 30 minutes of rising. You probably want to keep it around 50 to 75 grams of carbs. You want to make sure there's lots of protein there. Uh, you want to limit uh, your carb intake to 25 grams or less, especially if you're overweight. If you're 50, I should say if you're fit, you can probably... Uh, uh, go up on the carbs, but I, I wouldn't recommend going up too much. Mm -hmm. The um, the next big step is there's absolutely no snacking. You eat two to three meals a day. Most people, when they start, you only eat three. But when you get into this groove after a period of time, you'll see that the, the big protein load in the morning completely destroys your uh, ghrelin cycle, which is your appetite cycle, and you'll be able to go to two uh, meals a day relatively quickly. Uh, the heavier one is, the more leptin resistant you are, the longer it will take for that to occur. But generally, it also occurs. And this also has huge effects for people with eating disorders. I mean, you can actually destroy binging very, very quickly. Uh, and if you don't believe that, you can come on my form on my website and you can talk. There's a, there's a whole thread of ladies on there that have had amazing results from their binging stopping just from doing this. Um, the other biggie that probably most people will be shocked to hear, I don't want anybody doing any working out after breakfast at all. In fact, if you're going to work out, it needs to happen 
between 4 and 6 p.m. Uh, and the reason for that has to do with how the body handles protein synthesis maximally. You should also allow four to five hours between your dinner meal and when you go to sleep. And the reason for that has to do with uh, how leptin gets into the brain. It usually happens around midnight, and it will not happen if you have a boatload of triglycerides in your blood or you have any kind of insulin spike at all in that time frame. Uh, if you have any trouble sleeping when you first start this, I'm okay with people 20 to 30 minutes before they go to bed where they can do three to five minutes of body weights or even maybe, you know stuff like push-ups or squats. Um, how do you know when it's working? You'll start to notice a change in your sweating pattern. Your energy levels will rise. Your hunger and cravings will become less and eventually disappear completely. Most people who are obese are kind of shocked when, I, when they hear this, but I promise you there's not been one person that this has not worked in. Um, when you awaken in the morning, you'll feel refreshed and pretty well rested. Men will notice much quicker weight loss, and the reason for that is men have evolutionary design, lower leptin levels. Women have higher ones because they have to bear children, so they usually have about 5% more body fat uh, than uh, men do, and that's the reason it happens. And women also have more complex hormonal system because they have progesterone in, in the game where guys don't. Uh, the one thing that women will notice is that their sleep usually improves quicker than guys, and their clothes will fit much differently as the process goes on because their body composition changes because we're affecting the, pro, uh, the progesterone-estradiol ratios in their body. Um, the food sources, I mean, you can, read, you can read the books, but I'm a big believer in eating seafood, grass-fed meat, and eggs in the morning. Uh, I'm not a big fan of poultry. I'm also not a big fan of protein shakes. I mean, you can do it, but I'm not big into that. Um, I'm also big into my cooking oils when you cook this stuff. In the fall and winter, wherever you are, I think you should use animal fats like butter, ghee, uh, heavy cream, and you can use liberal amounts. There's no calorie counting on my plan. In the uh, spring and summertime, I'm a big believer in coconut oil and palm oil for the reasons I mentioned to you earlier. The other thing is I, I like people to avoid nut and seed oils in the initial stages when you're trying to you know, reverse disease processes. Uh, I guess the cool part of my, my whole thing was the cold thermogenesis thing, how I came upon it myself. Your readers may not know my story, but, you know, one time, six, seven years ago, I was six foot two, 360 pounds, and I realized uh, that I could fix my obesity if I did my leptin reset, but I also added something to it called cold thermogenesis. And I'll give you a very quick, you know, example of how I came up with it. Um, you know, in my own mind's eye, because it happened when I was in Europe. I want you to think about a polar bear, and I want to think. I want you to think about you. Mm -hmm. Okay, what do you both have in common? You're both mammals. What's the difference between you and a polar bear? Well, in the summertime, the polar bear goes out and eats berries off the tree and big king salmon's from Alaska. Gets really big and fat, and he becomes insulin resistant. The insulin resistance is a sign for him to go under the ground and sleep. He goes under the ground and sleeps in the freezing cold, and then four months later he wakes up, he's completely shredded of fat, and he's got the biggest muscles he has all year. So that poses the question, when did he have time to exercise? <laughs> he did. So then I thought, well, if he's a mammal and I'm a mammal, could the same program be built into me? Could I replace exercising with cold thermogenesis? 
And that's exactly what I did, and that's exactly what I found, and that's exactly what it does, and it even works in humans. So what separates me from everybody else is that when you pay attention to the cold, you can actually reduce your leptin levels even more, because as I mentioned to you before, there's nothing better on planet Earth than reducing leptin levels and reducing leptin resistance than cold thermogenesis. Mm -hmm. So the major benefits of cold thermogenesis you may... Uh, kind of understand is it's going to give you lower body fat levels it's going to increase all your hormone levels it's going to increase your reproductive fitness which lots of people like especially girls with PCOS and guys with testosterone problems um, it improves fertility it can reverse diabetes as we mentioned before um, it, you cut your food cravings you'll kill your fat cells permanently and if you don't believe that, I don't know if you guys have this over in uh, Dublin, but here in the States, we've had a bunch of plastic surgeons in 2007 come up with a procedure called Zeltique or Cool Sculpting. Mm -hmm. And what they basically do is use metal plates, put it on your fat, and they can melt your fat away in six weeks without any surgery utilizing the cold. And see, I came up with this using just ice cubes out of my ice machine myself. So the fact that, you know, surgical science is now backing up the things that I'm saying uh, makes me feel kind of good because that's now mainstream medicine in the United States uh, so it's available it'll also strengthen your adrenal function it can fix thyroid disorders it improves your immunity tremendously and if any of your readers haven't seen my story about how I did surgery on myself utilizing this protocol they can look at my TEDx video from Nashville from March of 2012 and Google it when I did surgery on myself, I actually injected myself with MRSA to prove that cold thermogenesis actually would improve my immune system. And guess what, Robbie? It worked. Mm -hmm. Okay? And this was important information for me as a surgeon because I now use cold in my surgical patients to also reduce their infection rates, which is pretty tremendous considering all the problems we have with you know, IV antibiotics across the world. Um, it also will induce very deep sleep. So cold is great for sleep. That's the reason why polar bears go under the ground and sleep so easily when they hibernate. But humans also will too. If you turn the lights out and turn your thermostat down or go outside and sleep naked in 10 degrees Celsius, I promise you, you're going to sleep better than you would if it was 20 degrees Celsius. Okay? Pain management it works for. It decreases your pain. Why? Because anybody who's left and resistant has more pain. This is why diabetics get diabetic neuropathy and peripheral neuropathy much more. Your sense of well-being also improves, as does your attitude. Uh, cold thermogenesis has the very unique finding where it cuts visceral fat first over subcutaneous fat. And remember my story about the polar bear. I told you he wakes up shredded of fat. Why? Because the first fuel that he uses is the fat that's built around his viscera. That's the fat that causes diabetes. So it also has the same effect in humans. And the other uh, big benefit it does, it actually promotes the cessation of eating disorders because of the effect that it has on the increase in hormones in the gut. Um, if you go to the cold thermogenesis easy start guide on my, my, uh, my blog, it tells you how to do it. It only takes humans two weeks to cold adapt. You want to eat a high-fat protein meal. You usually also should drink between 16 and 32 ounces of ice-cold water, but don't go over 32 ounces because you could have a problem with that. You just need to get yourself a skin thermometer and start face-dunking your face in the bathroom sink or a larger bowl. You want to try to get the water between 50 and 55 degrees 
and make sure you don't have any makeup on. Um, and you want to dunk your face in the water for as long as you can, can do it. Initially, it's going to be tough, but you're going to probably see relatively quickly you're going to be able to dunk your face in fairly easily. You know, as you do this over the next two weeks, you uh, get pretty used to the 50 to 55 degrees, and then you uh, start to add full body uh, conversion. You put go down flat on your back, and you can start getting in the cooler water, tell people to wear a compression shirt and when you get used to the water uh, if you want to take it even lower you can actually start adding 20 to 40 pound blocks of ice or cubes of ice to the water while you're wearing the compression shirt and you try to do this for five minutes at a time initially you'll probably only make it for one or two minutes but you'll see relatively quickly most people who have tried this are kind of shocked how they're able to adapt and I, I tell everybody, you shouldn't be shocked. If a polar bear can do it, you can do it too. Because remember, you're both mammals. You just didn't know it. And um, you want to pay attention the whole time to your skin because the difference between you and polar bears and other mammals is that we don't have the fur that they have. So you have to be really attentive to the color of your skin. You don't want your skin to get uh, really white, to get cherry red. And I'm sure... You guys over in Dublin know what cherry red skin's all about. Since mm -hmm. I'm Irish, I know you faced it yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you leave the compression shirt on for about 60 minutes. When you get up to 60 minutes that you can tolerate the cold, I, I tell people take the shirt off and just go directly on your skin. At that point, you're fully adapted. And then you can start doing some really wild stuff. How, how long do you recommend staying in to the ice baths once, once let's say, you're, you're nearly at full body submersion? How, how, what's the duration? Well, it depends, Robbie, what your deal is. Like, I mean, if you're a fat ass like I was, <laughs> to be honest with you, you want to do it as much as you can. But say if you're a guy with, say, 8% body fat that's just trying to reverse, say, hypogonadicism, uh, you may not have to do it that long. It really depends on what your goals are and what you're doing it for. You know, I usually tell most people, if you come to my site and you ask the questions, I can usually answer them for you. But you know that the answer to that question is different for every person. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Jack, just just uh, two questions I actually did want to ask: Why the breakfast thirty minutes after getting up? Why does it have to be in that thirty minutes? What, what, what do you think is happening there? Is it just to control appetite, or is it to do with some hormonal regu regulation, or? No, there's a, there's actually a blog post on my blog that actually talks about actually how the leptin prescription works. And basically what we're doing is we are using your gut and the nerve in your gut called the vagus Vagal, nerve yeah, the to confuse your hypothalamus, okay? And your hypothalamus is the part of the brain that controls leptin, mm -hmm. okay? And what happens when you, when you confuse the brain initially, the brain goes through what we call a resetting process. Think about it like this. When your computer goes bad, Robbie, don't you just restart it and start over? Yeah. That's exactly what the big breakfast is doing when you're leptin resistant. Mm -hmm. And just with the exercise, exercising at four, or you say four to six, do you not think? Obviously, you you know you you've that for a reason. But would it not increase cortisol levels while they should be decreasing going into the evening time? That's just no, a, no it doesn't actually. That the science behind the recommendations that I've made, these are not Jack Cruz's opinion. These oh, I know it. These are based in hardcore studies that are out there. In fact, I've written another blog post. Uh, I believe it's called The New Evolution of the Leptin Prescription, where it gets into specifically the circadian biology of humans mm -hmm. 
and there are studies linked in that in that blog post that tell you specifically why you want to exercise between 4 and 6 p.m. And it has to do with, um, it actually, believe it or not, it has to do with what you did in the morning. See, the, the other effect that happens when you eat the big protein breakfast in the morning, it sets the gastrin uh, circadian cycle in the stomach, which is a hormone in the stomach that actually makes acid production. And when you do that, it sets the acid production to be maximal at 4 to 6 p.m. at night. And that's when you get maximum protein assimilation and actually assimilation into the body. So if you do this and you do it consistently over time, you will not need to exercise at all to get supreme body composition because protein synthesis is increased by three to 400% when you're doing things yoked in a perfect circadian cycle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would, that, would that change, Jack, depending on the time of year and the day and night cycle? Like, would four to six change? Like yeah, it does. I actually I talk about that in that blog post. Obviously, when the light cycles are lower, you want to do it more close to you know four o'clock. And when the yeah. uh, I should say you can go when the light cycles are shortest. You want to go when the light's still out. When the light cycles are longer now, you probably could even extend it. I don't know how it is in Dublin, but I can tell you here it stays light till nine o'clock at night. But well, it it stays bright here till eleven o'clock in the summer. There you go. So I mean, you could probably go a little bit longer. Than, than you wanted to, but I would try to stay pretty tight to the 4 to, to 6 six p.m. window, mm -hmm. and that's if you're trying to maximize your body count. Mm -hmm. um, the key thing is, though, what sets that tone, Robbie? So if you don't eat that big protein breakfast to set gastrin out, because, you know, when gastrin uh, is released, that's when the acid is released in your stomach from 4 to 6 that allows you to break down the proteins at the intestinal brush border through an enzyme called DPPIV. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, if this is not perfectly yoked, when you eat that great grass-fed steak that you spent a lot of money on, you're not getting the maximum benefit of it. Jack, can we speak about free, free radicals? Um, I've recently done some study in mitochondrial medicine with a Russian doctor, and it's so striking, actually, the similarities of, of what both of you talk about. It's, it's actually, I'd really love you two guys to meet, because what he spoke about with free radicals and the mitochondria, and then in one of your blog posts I read, they were just exactly saying the same thing. So can you speak about how free radicals actually are, are needed? They're actually not bad. It's only when they kind of get an excess and, and mitochondrial function and, and whatnot. Yeah, well, it's pretty It's pretty simple. I have a four-part mitochondria series that I started my blog with back in June of 2011. I would tell people to read it. It's kind of interesting stuff, but it is deep science stuff. But I can explain it to you pretty simply. Humans have four cytochromes in their mitochondria. Cytochromes are places where, let's let's just say we make energy. There's It's called oxidative phosphorylation. It's where we basically... Um, transfer electrons you know like when we have a, a silicon wafer uh, for a computer chip yeah computer engineers basically get paid millions of dollars uh, in Ireland and in the United States to figure out how to make electrons move over silicon wafers really fast well mm -hmm. guess what happens at the mitochondria we are basically moving electrons from food as fast as we possibly can to give them to oxygen to make ATP well in humans there's two cytochromes that are very important. In fact, they're probably more important than three and four. The first one is cytochrome one, which is called NADH. The second one is called FADH. And the difference between the two is that at cytochrome one, humans are more leaky to 
free radicals or what we call reactive oxygen species, then we are at, say, cytochrome 2, 3, or 4. Now, what's interesting is the mitochondria uh, tend to be right next to or what we call our nuclear chromatin, and that actually is the signal, the leakiness from that uh, cytochrome is the signal to our telomeres that actually signal our chromosomes about what the energy status is of the cell. And generally, the energy status, when things are working well, uh, free radicals are actually very beneficial to how the whole system works. So many people are out there that you know are telling you, oh, you have a deficiency in, in uh, free radicals. They don't know what they're talking about. I mean, I, I can tell you right now, there's so much malarkey out there about that, it's, it's ridiculous. But the key factor that makes disease more plausible is when we get more leaky at our cytochromes. And generally what happens there is when the mitochondria get more leaky and we make more reactive oxygen species, that's a signal to the cell to get rid of that mitochondria and replace it with a new one, okay? Mm -hmm. um, when you take excessive amounts of antioxidants to try to offset this balance, there's, there's data out there that say that you actually are screwing yourself up because you're affecting that ability of the mitochondria to signal the telomeres that it needs to get taken out. So there's a downside to taking too much antioxidants. See, everything with, with biology is about allostasis. It has to be in balance. Mm -hmm. If you do anything to excess to the system, you're going to create a mismatch. And remember, we talked earlier about mismatches. They're not good for our biology at all. Um, so the key factor, I would tell you, for all health and all aging is to make sure that you have rock starish mitochondria. The best way to make sure you have rock starish mitochondria is to eat a diet uh, that is low in inflammation and that is yoked to the light cycles of your ancestry, where you, where you live, because that's what sets your epigenetic signaling. So that's the reason why guys who are like the Kitavins that live closer to the equator and eat a lot of carbs but eat a lot of coconut oil, most people don't know that one of the other things the Kitavins do to offset their damage, not only do they eat fish and they eat a lot of coconut, but they also only eat one meal a day. Most people don't know that, mm -hmm. you know, especially the people on the blogosphere that are constantly spewing the nonsense about how their diet proves that everybody can eat carbs at, on December 31st. It's just total bullshit. Mm -hmm. uh, you just need to understand how the system works. Biology basically makes sense of the complete chaos of life. Yeah. And once you throw some sand into those gears, you're creating a huge problem. Jack, you spoke about how you believe sleep was our primordial state. Can you just get into that? Yeah, well, I mean, just think about it. It just makes complete sense. You know, when I said this in my uh, my original blog post about sleep, that's a long time ago. I'm surprised you went back and hit that. But that, that really is a, a key foundational principle to a lot of my theories. Uh, when life started, life was not aware of what it was. It was just a, a bag of cell, I should say a, a, a nuclear, or not even a nuclear, it was a cell membrane filled with proteins that had no awareness of time, day, space, or anything. So it was not aware. Uh, I believe that 
in order to get nutrients, in order to grow, in order to sell divide, we had to find nutrients. So that meant that we had to start paying attention to time. And the way we started doing it is by using the light cycles. That's how I think life first started. But the reason why we evolved wakefulness is we had to be awake in order to move to get nutrients in order to procreate. Um, think about it. If you, if you just stayed in a complete sleep state, you would basically stay in that position, and the only way you'd get nutrients is if they came and hit you in your cell membrane. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be too successful, you know, long term. Uh, so I believe we evolved wakefulness from sleep. Uh, and that's a pretty radical concept, but I think when most people think about it, they're like, you know, that makes complete sense. Why would we have evolved wakefulness first? We wouldn't have. Um, and when you think about it from that perspective, then it can gives you a completely new spin on, let's say, complex life like us. That's why sleep is so incredibly vitally important to us because all of our cellular processes called autophagy, which recycle proteins, happen at nighttime when we're asleep. The other thing that people also don't realize is that the two major anabolic hormones for complex life, namely testosterone and growth hormone, are both secreted when we're sleeping. Mm -hmm. So when you start to think about things, then it starts making a lot more sense. Calories, Jack. Uh, as, As both myself and yourself know... You know the whole calories in, calories out thing is is a crock of shit. But a it's lot, a, a lot of people like just you know the, the lay person, and and you know we can't really blame. It's not, them. Even, a, it's not even the lay person. You got some psycho bloggers out there. Oh yeah. They they think that it's calories in, calories out. You know, and I respect their their position and why they believe it. But you know, we already talked in depth about why it's total horseshit, uh, and the reason for that is. In cold, you completely uncouple calories from from ATP production. You make free heat. Right then and there, just that alone tells you that calorie in, calorie out doesn't equal mm. anything. Mm. I mean, they're important at certain parts of our life and certain times of the year, but they're not important, you know, primordially for, for any organism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you speak about the example of Michael Phelps for, for free heat from calories. Right, exactly. Well, Michael Phelps is probably the best-known example of it, but, I mean, you have other examples of it. I mean, the Sherpas are a great example. I mean, their resting metabolic rate is ridiculous, and they don't have to eat a lot of calories to support it. Mm-hmm. You know, and the reason for that is because they live on the top of Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. You know, not only do they have the cold effect, but they also have the, uh, the hypoxic effect you know, the low oxygen effect. So it makes them more metabolically efficient. Well, if if we have a human on this planet that is able to do something that, say, a guy in double and iron can't do, we, we have a duty as, you know, the, both the lay public, the doctor, and the scientists explain that. You know, and that goes into, I guess, our discussion earlier about Lipton. We have the ability to adapt. To say calorie in, calorie out is accurate for every single human on this planet is just absolute insanity. Yeah, it's just insanity. mTOR, Jack, can you just get into mTOR? Because some people believe it's bad, but you you were kind of speaking that again. It's it's a balance with mTOR. Yeah, well, I think mTOR when you eat a warm adapted uh, diet, eating a Western diet all all times of the year, yeah, mTOR is going to kill you. There's no question about it. 
but mTOR, when you mix it with the cold, actually can make you live for a really, really long time. I mean, a perfect example of that, I don't know if you're aware of this, because I know it made headline news all over the world, was the baby in Argentina a couple of months ago that the doctors pronounced dead. Uh, they, they nailed the child shut in the coffin for 12 hours, put him in the morgue, freezing temperatures, and then when the mother was distraught, she wanted to go see the baby before they buried it, they opened the coffin up and the child was still in there alive. Jesus, didn't hear that story. Yeah, I mean, it was on my blog. And I told people, I said, look, this is how cold thermogenesis works. And, you know, that baby probably was clinically dead when the doctors pronounced it, meaning it didn't have a heartbeat. But I guarantee you that there was still biologic action at a cellular level. And when they put that child in the cold, they activated some of those pathways that we're talking about, like IGF-1 and mTOR. Mm -hmm. And those pathways, I talk about an extreme mind-bending difficulty in, in my blog post called CT6, which is probably the most important blog post I've ever written. Uh, and that blog post basically explains that every single Eutherian mammal on this planet has that pathway built into their nervous systems to survive. And, and it's to survive in the primordial conditions of cold. Because as I said to you earlier, I believe that all life started in the cold and evolved to the warm. And I believe warm is hormesis, cold is primordial. And that's probably what separates me from just about everybody else in the blogosphere. And that's the reason why I think so many people really have a hard time wrapping their, head, their heads around what I'm saying. But every day that goes on, something gets posted in the, the media and gets posted in science blogs where it doesn't make any sense when you're a warm, adapted person, but it makes complete sense when you have my perspective. Just as I said today, the, the AMA news that came out about artificial light and breast cancer. You know, people are shocked to read that. I'm sitting back in my chair going, hey, welcome to the show, guys. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, yeah, it's funny because like, when, when some people come to me like, about certain things, they'll be like, geez, I just read the newspaper about mercury toxicity and mercury films in your teeth. And I was like, I told you this two years ago. Right. Well, I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, it's kind of like when humans believe the illusion long enough, we think it becomes part of our reality. What we need to get really good at is we need to get between the illusion and our perception. Yeah. And when you start to realize that the illusion is really not reality, the illusion starts to lose its allure, and it goes away, and then it opens your mind to really how we truly evolve. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, I'm not kidding you when I tell you this, I strongly recommend you and anybody else listening to this call, if you're intrigued by any one thing I said, go read my blog post from today, uh, which is June 22nd, uh, 2012, and I promise you, what's in there will absolutely blow your mind. Just, and none of None of this is Jack Cruz's opinion. Again, everything that's in that blog post is factual from science. The, the thing that makes me a little bit, I guess, different and special is I'm not an inventor of anything. I'm an innovator. I'm able to take concepts from different parts of science and put them together so I can make sense of your biochemistry, your life, your disease process, to make you better and when you see how I work in my clinic I can cure people that other people can't cure not because I'm special 
because the way I think about evolutionary biology is based on how we're built, mm -hmm. not what we believe. Uh, just regards to your blog, the the I I'm I'm one of these people that has to go back to the very start rather than just reading from where it is now. So I've I've only read June 2011, July 2011, and August 2011. I'm just getting into September. I've read some of your recent blog posts, but that's kind of why you, you were kind of saying, "Geez, you, you you're talking about sleep that I wrote about like last year." That's probably why I'm bringing stuff up that you wrote last year. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, it's good to see that people are reading, you know, the uh, the foundational stuff. But I came up with this idea to put all my ideas in this quilt format. The reason I did a quilt format mm -hmm. is because a lot of the stuff I talk about is pretty complex. So if I put it out piece by piece fashion and you keep reading along, eventually you're going to catch up to where I am and you're going to say, you know what, this makes total sense. I have another analogy that you may, may even like better. My quilt has 30 different levees in it. So I want you to think about this. In my hand is a rope, okay? In, my, in the rope has 30 different parts to it, but they're all together. Where Robbie Bork is right now, he's in Dublin, Ireland, and, there's, and the rope is untwined, and there's 30 different ideas surrounding you. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing is reading those different parts. And as you keep reading over time, I'm leading you down until you get to my hand when all the twine is together. So that way you have the perception that I got seven years ago. Mm -hmm. That's actually how I've decided to construct my quilt document to make this pretty science-dense material understandable to the lay public. Just last two or three questions, Jack. Why neurosurgery? What got you into medicine? You, I mean, you were a dentist originally, yes? Yeah. Uh, I was a dentist first uh, and... and then I guess you would say something fortuitous happened to me, kind of random, just like evolution. And uh, during my uh, my dental training, I actually rotated for six months with the neurosurgery service. And uh, they asked me what I consider changing into it. I had never thought about being a neurosurgeon before. And the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, neurosurgery is the top of the pyramid in medicine. And not only that. I've always been fascinated by the brain because the brain is the most complex thing on planet Earth. In fact, I think it's probably the most complex thing in the universe that we know of right now, and we still don't have a goddamn clue how it works. And I said, you know what? I need to go explore something that's going to challenge me for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And it, it's never let me down. I mean, just look at what we're talking about today. We're talking about some extreme complexity that's built into our neurologic systems. And most humans on this planet today don't have a clue about what you and I talked about. That's what fires me up. And I got news for you. There's a lot more to this story that we even talked about. And that's part of the reason why I mentioned today's blog post. Because today's blog post will show you just how complex mm -hmm. that system is and how that system came from a simpler system from, you know, the primates. You know, no one in, in evolutionary history, including the big man himself, Charles Darwin, ever figured out how we've come from chimp to human. Um, and, you know, we, we all grew up with the stories, you know, that we learned in church. And most people who start to study science realize that there's a lot of holes in those stories as well. But you know, I, 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 grew, I grew up, you know, uh, an Irish Catholic kid in New York City. And I realized very, very quickly 
that evolution was clearly the answer. But the thing that always frustrated me was how we actually made the progression from transitional apes to humans. Today's blog post, Robbie, brings it right home to you, and it uses brain evolutionary biology to prove the point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's very powerful stuff. It's the second most important blog post I've ever read. The first one, CT6. This is the second one. This, this is a, you should not miss this blog post because I promise you when you read it, you're going to fall back in your chair with a pint of Guinness and just go, holy shit. <laughs> it's just one of those things where it's a twist in the road you never saw coming. And, you know, I wrote the, I posted the blog post this morning here in the States and already we've got about 20 comments on it and some of the comments people are just like, this just, this totally changes everything. Uh, and, you know, I was kind of glad to see the comments because I've tried to tell people we can't keep advocating and doing the things that we've been doing in modern medicine and in modern life and keep understanding why we keep getting bad results. You know, Einstein called that the definition of insanity. And until medicine and healthcare gets an epistemologic foundation of who we are and where we came from and how our Ferrari engines really work, we are not going to fix humans. And this series that I'm in right now, I'm only on on Brain Gut Two. This is this is one of those foundational series that quilt. Uh, you know, the quilt has 30 levies. Brain Gut Access is the fifth one. This is the first time I'm entering this realm. I've left left leptin and I've entered this one, and I think this one is really going to blow people's minds because this is actually the levy where I explain how we went from primate brain to ch to human brain. And why we are what we are. Yeah, I'm just looking. I'm just looking at the blog post now. I'm going to read it once we get off the phone. It's a good one, I promise you. And I, I think when you read it, you read the implications of it. It's going to kind of shock you. Jack, do you think there is a hope for medicine, modern medicine, where it is right yeah, now? Absolutely, I do. But do I think I think the modern hope for medicine starts with people first? Yeah, it starts with guys like you and me. We, we have to realize we have to stop giving modern medicine the power over us. We can no longer let them usurp our biologic potential. And you have to realize, uh, and today's blog post brings this post home. I mean, brings, brings this belief home, Robbie. Our genome is exactly the same as chimps. But when you look at a chimp and you look at us, we're radically different. So you know what that implies? It implies that what we do to our genome is the single most important thing on this planet. What have you and I been talking about for an hour? Environmental mismatches. That is the key. And guess who controls that? You. You and me, not the doctor. Mm -hmm. And when you start to realize that you, unlike the polar bear, can recreate your own environment to, to suit the conditions that were present when humans became humans... Yes, I think we can go back to optimal. In fact, I know we can because I used to be suboptimal, and I'm a whole lot better than I used to be. Jack, what do you what do you recommend we humans do? Modern humans, you know, what I mean, because we have all this technology, the computers, the phones. What is your recommendation? Just if that's fine, just don't look at it when it's dark. Well, you can look at it when it's dark, but you know what you have to realize? It's the blue light in that that technology that's ruining your circadian rhythms, because your circadian rhythms are coded for in your eye through a nucleus called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. But blue light is what ruins it. Mm -hmm. And, 
you need to wear orange goggles. And I'm sure over in Dublin, you guys have seen that uh, that that uh, internet program called Flux. I haven't yes. heard of it now. I haven't heard of it, but I'm I'm sure some people have. Yeah, you can Google it. It's made by a company over here in the states called Stereopsis. And basically, what it does, you put the software on your computer, and it yokes to your latitude and longitude, and it sets your computer lights to directly when the sun sets, mm-hmm. and it diminishes it as the sun sets. Whoa! At the same time, uh, on my site, you'll see if you go onto my recommended product list, if you buy uh, orange goggles. The orange goggles block out the blue light. So if you're a TV freak and you like watching it like like most Americans do, I don't watch it, but I spend a lot of time on the computer. I just wear my my goggles at nighttime when I'm doing that. More often, you know, the longer I've been doing this, I've become very very. Uh, I've been I become very uh, very. Uh, I, I lost my train of thought because my phone went off. That's okay. Yeah, you're okay. You, we were talking about the lights and the, computer, the laptops. Yeah, I've become, I've become much more cognizant of light, and so when the light um, gets low, I usually just go in a completely dark room. In fact, I, I don't know if you ever listened to my Sean Cruxton... Uh, oh, I did, yeah. I've listened to all the podcasts you've done. Yeah. Well, I, I, I talked to him when I was complete darkness, and he actually laughed at me. Yeah, you, were, you, said, you said you were in your man cave. Right. I was in my man cave in the complete dark, and people don't believe me when I tell them this, but it's the truth. Yeah. And that's how I roll now. And I'm not going to tell you seven years ago, that's how I, I did it, but that's how I do it now. Yeah. And I don't need, I don't need extraneous light at night. It's just something that I realized was so critically important that I needed to change. So I changed it just like I changed my diet. Yeah. You know, I eat, I eat a diet that's completely yoked to circadian biology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Last two questions, Jack. What did you eat today? Uh, this morning I ate a smoothie with four four raw pastured eggs, uh, a pint of blueberries, some coconut manna from Nutiva, some coconut oil, uh, heavy raw cream, and also I put some uh, 100% pure cocoa powder. Oh, that sounds some, really good. And some turmeric, mixed it up. Uh, with ice and made you know a smoothie out of it. That's what I had for breakfast. I haven't eaten any lunch, and for dinner tonight, I'm planning on making sea bass with crab meat on top. Oh, sea bass is beautiful. And then the very last question, a bit, a bit, uh, a bit different from what we've we've covered so far. But to you, Jack Cruz, what is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is gaining bits of knowledge to form wisdom and passing that wisdom on to future generations to become better than what we were. It's uh, a nice, a nice closing thought. Okay, well that's. Um, I mean, I could go on forever, but I think for the audience so far, I mean, that definitely is an hour of full-blown information and guys I fully recommend you take check out Dr. Cruz's blog it, it really is as I said I've, I'm only on the first three months that he'd started last year um, I mean it, the blog is only around a year Jack and, and the, the hits and the comments for just the blog that's only around a year is off the chart yeah well I would tell people that, that and this is really important point we didn't talk about some of the blogs definitely will make your head hurt but I'm gonna tell you there's gold nuggets in the comments and I'll even tell you just like the last couple of blog posts like the, the brain got one the comments from a guy named bob in there are just absolutely solid gold and people need to 
not, you know, don't focus in on the blogs. Read the comments because yeah, you will yeah. not believe some of the insights you'll get there. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, that's it for this podcast. So again, I want to thank Mr. or Dr. Jack Cruz, and definitely check out his 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 blog and his website and read everything you can. So take care, guys, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care, Robbie. Thanks, man, and Jack. Take care. Alrighty.